Greetings and welcome to this special edition of Liberty Dispatch Interviews. I'm here in Ottawa at a top secret location. We can't say where we are. We can't divulge that information. But I'm here with three very special guests. Maybe you recognize them. And if you don't, surely you recognize the hats because of all of the very awful, terrible things that you guys do, apparently. You're just really, really, really bad, awful people who speak eloquently and stand up for biblical truth. So I'm here with the with the with the um, kind of amorphous blob that is Save Canada and you have two different hats and one not wearing a hat so it's good. It's your you're distinguishing yourself. So why don't we start by just introducing yourself. Say your name, maybe how old you are and then I don't know what is your uh, what is your favorite thing to do in your spare time when you're not shaming cowardly men who should be doing a better job protecting their kids and fighting for the freedoms of our country yeah so i'm nick alexander i'm 18 and uh, i'm a firefighter i quite enjoy doing that uh, like that like doing that job so firefighter like volunteer paid firefighter just paid. okay all right i'm josh alexander um 16 grade 11 and uh Saving Canada is kind of a full-time job, so I don't have much time for anything else. Uh, I'm Monty Walker. Uh, I'm 16, grade 11, and uh, basically the same thing that Josh just said. (laughs) Fair enough. So it is a Saturday in February, and this is the one-year anniversary of the convoy coming to an end. Were you guys in Ottawa on that Saturday when everything all kind of came to a... A halt? Yeah, well, we were in Ottawa, and during the time the majority of the arrests were taking place, we were detained in Gatineau. Okay. We for Yeah, for the majority of the day, we weren't, uh, weren't able to get here for the a lot of the action. So on Wednesday of this week last year, I believe, was when the Prime Minister invoked the War Measures Act. By the way, we, we don't call it the Emergencies Act. That's the polite version but previous to that it was the war measures act and the only other times it was ever invoked was world war one world war two and in the 70s when they were actually Mm -hmm. capturing journalists Mm -hmm. and actually engaged in terrorism Mm -hmm. and then for bouncy castle so it was on tuesday or wednesday of this week pardon and coffee coffee coffee. yeah and french toast i i I tell people about the story in the middle of the streets some guy was cooking French toast on a massive griddle, and it was so cold that the bottles of syrup, it came out like glue. Nice. And I just had this fond memory of eating French toast outside at minus 30 degree weather. Mm. So Tuesday or Wednesday is when he invokes the act, and then all of a sudden we see the threats. We're going to shut this down soon. You guys have to get out of there. And so on the Thursday was when a few of my pastor buddies came to Ottawa to see what was going on. And this is when the police started moving protesters away leading up to the Chateau Laurier. So on Friday, a friend of mine from Tilsonburg, which is all the way out by London, Ontario, said, we're coming up to Ottawa. And I said, pick me up. Let's go. So we arrived in Ottawa late Friday night. We wake up Saturday morning. And then by 9.30, we're on Parliament Hill. Police come out, push us off Wellington. It's a really weird experience being here again a year later. But I mean, you you guys know what was going on. Smoke grenades, tear grass, the the, the sound grenades and snipers on the roofs and drones. And so here we are a year later and cars still aren't allowed on Wellington Street, which is kind of wild. They hope to clear that up by April or something like that. Mm -hmm. So just yesterday, the Public Order Emergency Commission said that the cabinet was justified in invoking the War Measures Act, that it was appropriate to give these vast and vague powers to the federal government, basically saying they can do whatever they want. So um, if, if you just have a hot take on it, that's fine. Or we can we can start by talking about that because this is literally up to date. This was yesterday. What are your thoughts on them finding that it was totally justified in invoking the act and then all the powers and actions that that came out of it. The government said the government didn't partake in uh, government overreach. Right. Big surprise there, but I just I think it goes to show how corrupt uh, how corrupt everything is, and 
how far gone the country is. That's fair. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible to see what they will uh, push and say was a uh, terrorist threat. They called us terrorists at the start. But um, now that we're a year later, they shut down the street. We've been peaceful the entire time. Um, they're still singling us out and arresting us. They say the Emergencies Act was over and that it was justified, yet they're still basically using the same powers. The, the unlawful police action uh, is running rampant in the uh, streets of Ottawa right now, and it's completely unchecked. So I don't think that that commission didn't really bring forward anything. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's fu- it's funny. You, it's It's almost like by invoking the act, they push it to a certain level, and then when they say, okay, we're not going to use it anymore, they don't pull it all the way back to where it was before. It's this steady incremental push where they bring it back plus a few bits of tyranny. And so as long as they keep doing that, Jordan Peterson talks about that, where if you get in someone's face, like get right up to their nose to threaten them, and you just stay there, eventually the person might take a few steps back and say, okay, I don't want any trouble. But you don't move. You stay there. And then when they back up, you wait a little bit, you let everything cool down, and then you take another step forward. And so it looks like you're always meeting in the same area, but in the reality, they're slowly pushing it forward, and they're not giving up ground, or they're not giving up as much ground as they should. Monty? Yeah, I think it's pretty funny that they, they call us terrorists, and we're horrible people. Yeah, it's pretty hypocritical coming from what they did to the people down there. Uh, I think there's pepper spray used. Um tear gas they like they assaulted so many people i mean even us we experienced uh them uh, assaulting us like they hit us with batons so it's pretty uh, hypocritical to call us terrorists yeah there's going to be more coming out it just they just released their final report on friday so obviously there's going to be a lot a lot of commentary on it a lot of people i know we're planning on doing a, a deeper dive on our Tuesday show because we want to look at the report. It's five volumes and it's like hundreds of pages per volume. So you got to weed through a lot of crap to get to what they're really saying. So, um, but here we are on this Saturday and there's activities happening all this weekend in Ottawa. There's a lot of stuff going on. We're headed over to the Hill after this to see what's going on. I want to do some footage there and talk to some people there. Um, Obviously people who are following the story, people who are following arrests and the protests and what you guys stand for are familiar with what's going on in the present. But one of the things that you can't really capture in these shorter interviews or these sound bites or these quick articles is a little bit more of, okay, what are these guys actually about? Like, who are they? What do they believe? Why are you the way that you are? Or a little bit about your, your backstory or your history, your beliefs, like what makes you you. And so that's what I wanted to do today. I didn't want to spend too much time talking about present political organizational stuff, but more who you guys are and, and, and why you are the way that you are. So you guys are brothers. So you grew up in the same house. So obviously, unless your parents treated you drastically different, by and large, you were in the same setting. So tell me a little bit about kind of growing up, family of origin. Tell me about your parents' political, social beliefs. Tell me about how you guys are influenced so that here we are now. Like, what made you who you guys are? You can say as much or as little as you want. Well, yeah, we uh, we were raised in an evangelical church, a Christian family, and uh, I think just those roots and that background ought to ha- uh, convict anybody to stand up for what's going on in the world right now. It's a very apparent uh evil attack and uh so yeah having that christian background and a uh, christian family certainly helps with that uh, yeah i was raised um with christian background um so <laughs> i i've learned about what's really right and wrong um and uh, seeing what's going on all around us it's i mean you kind of have to stand up because um, a lot of people aren't like once you finally see that, especially in the schools, how bad it is, uh, you kind of have to do something. So, yeah, I think, uh, like you said, especially from a Christian perspective, we have a moral obligation 
to respond to to what's happening, whether it's with the uh, infringements on our freedoms and civil liber- liberties, or whether it's against the indoctrination and uh, the gross agenda they're pushing with uh, with the kids. I think, uh, yeah, we, it's our job and our duty to stand up and and say no and bring in the biblical perspective. Did your did your parents talk politics? in your house growing up like i know with my kids just given the nature of the work that i do you know especially in the last three years when we had to talk to our kids about why you know when we went to church for example we had to be you know we would have to lock the door after we were all we all got in there or why it is that certain events were canceled why certain homeschool groups wouldn't keep doing the things we had to talk to our kids it's because of and we said it's not because of the cold or the flu, it's because of the, the rules, the laws that are coming from the top. And so my kids are 6, 8, and 10. And so they're, they're able to discern that people who are still driving with masks on or people who couldn't fly to visit their family, it's because of very bad, wrong decisions made by our prime minister and his cabinet. And so we're, we're talking politics. I want my kids to understand what's going on in the world around us. Your parents talk politics either to each other or to you, like any of that, what's going on in the political realm? Yeah, well, we were we were taught to think outside the box growing up and uh, think for ourselves. Um, and we were we were never we didn't grow up behind the curtain. Uh, it was pretty it was talked about with the the current happenings in the world was discussed. So yeah, I think that probably plays an impact had an impact. I, I personally didn't really grow up with, uh, we didn't really talk that much about politics mm-hmm. growing up. I didn't get into it for a long time, not really until me and Josh did the high school walkout. Um, <clears throat> I guess there was not really any interest or just no, didn't feel a reason to teach me about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's, didn't really have that. <coughs> so when did you guys start to question wrestle with you know you brought up stuff that's going on in schools and the very radical hypersexualized agenda for kids when did you guys start thinking about these broader social cultural issues like what was going on was it something that was happening in your school in your setting or something you're seeing from a distance like a little bit of this cultural awakening so to speak, where this is going on, I need to speak out, I need to be involved, I need to engage. When did that stuff start happening? What were you seeing? What was going on that, that led to that? Well, uh, for me personally, um, well, I was homeschooled till I was grade seven. And uh, like he was saying, we were we were taught to critically think, but we, we weren't, we never had an ideology pushed down our throat. We're like, this is what you have to believe, or this is what political party you're going to support. We never had any of that. We were taught to think critically and uh decide for ourselves and uh so when i ended up going into the public board it was amazing to see how many youth just didn't think um we'd and have, this is grade eight uh grade seven grade seven so yeah. you're 12 13 at this time yeah i guess so yeah so 13 14 something like that yeah um so i'm looking around at my peers and uh we'd be doing things like uh class votes or looking at into politics for a class or something and it would be amazing how dumb the majority of the population was it's like they don't think um the teacher will put up some Greta Thunberg spiel or something and uh they'll listen to this kid screaming off a script and uh they'll all take this and live by it and uh vote by it and uh it it was it was ridiculous so I I think honestly climate change is probably the first thing that was pushed on us um, at least for me, because I joined in grade seven, and uh, I always kind of fought back against that. But there was no really strong apparent threat, so I wasn't really into a whole lot of advocacy at that point. But yeah, that was—I always kind of had a bit of a rub with the teachers over just simple things like that. So when you go back home and talk with your parents about it, like what would those discussions be like? Like, are you, like, or are you just talking with friends? Are you researching stuff online specifically about? the climate change thing, how, you know, obviously they're t- saying the earth's going to melt in 12 years and whatever kind of nonsense mm-hmm. it changes every year or so. So how do you, how is it that you kind of, you brush up against that or kind of what are the conversations like that are making you 
question or why are you disagreeing with it? Well, why yeah, are you such a climate denier? <laughs> That's well, yeah, the question. Once you, once you have a Christian perspective on anything, you can't read the Bible and then say that there's actual risk of the earth melting because of our own <laughs> doing. Mm-hmm. Um, or that there's not enough room on the planet for us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, there's... There's a, there's a push in our modern society to devalue human life, and uh, it's very apparent in the climate change thing. It's very apparent in the pro-choice movement, and uh, so yeah, I don't I don't need to even have somebody reaffirm that. As long as I read the Bible, I know that that's not a threat. Mm-hmm. So I I just I never had to read science books or do studies on this issue, and uh, it was just very obvious that it was a scheme being pushed by the mainstream narrative. Whenever there's any kind of dino-related video or whatever that might come up on YouTube or that my, if my kids are watching, I don't know, some sort of cartoon and they're like, 32 billion years ago, I always get a... Sorry, that's not correct. So I want to, It's 14.5 billion years. That's apparently when the Earth started and the dinosaurs are like 75 million years ago. So I want to be clear about the nonsense. But... I always there's a there's a swelling up of pride in my heart when I hear my 10 year old say he'll just out loud. That's not true. The Earth's not that old. Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs were around with people. I'm like, yes, yes. How about you guys, Monty, Nick? When was this kind of awakening of kind of cultural engagement or understanding this stuff's going on in the world? And not only do I need to disagree with it in my heart, but. I need to speak against it. I need to look into it. I need to do something about it. What, when did that happen for you? Yeah, well, like even from the time when I was a little kid, I never felt the need to go along with, like you said, the mainstream narrative. Uh, the, the majority of the world is uh, they're, they're, it's a sheep-like population. They do whatever other people say or whatever they think is the normal thing to do. And they're almost incapable of thinking for themselves. And I think a lot of them actually are. I think they're... Uh, almost too far gone um but yeah i never felt the need to to go along with that so c- coming from that looking looking at things through that lens through that perspective uh changes everything mm-hmm. um there's actually quite a big difference so i'm two years uh older than josh and between the time i was in school the time i know that for people school, who go to the public system who heard earlier that you said you're 18 and he's 16 they couldn't do that math so i'm i'm, I'm glad that you Right. Clarified two years yeah, because people, because because of the the, the new math yeah. curriculum, they wouldn't have been able to figure that exactly, out. So right. I'm glad yeah. that yeah, I'm yeah. glad that your white supremacist math yeah, it, was, it works. Yeah, yeah and it, it it allows well, us to understand yeah. the age disparity between yeah. you. Yeah, but yeah, there was a huge difference between when he was in school and I was in school just over those two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, when I was in high school, the gender dysphoria and all similar topics and discussions would never have happened in class. There was always uh, one or two kids in the school who were similar, who were like that, but they were they were the odd ones out, and they weren't uh, wasn't accepted. It was just kind of weird. And it would never be supported by the by the education system, and that would never been pushed uh, on students. So even when I was in high school, I never even had the need to to say anything about that. Uh, there's like you said, there's many uh, class discussions and debates about climate change and. Uh, and uh, things similar to that, especially in civics class and stuff like that. But uh, it's really, in the last couple of years, it's taken off to a whole new level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm going to, I mean, I'm quite a bit older than you guys, but I'm only 39, so I'm not like 80 years old. When I was in high school, the thought of transgenderism was nowhere near I mean, we, the term that used to be used was transvestite, which is a man who dresses up as a woman, cross-dressing. But the idea of being the wrong gender in the wrong body was nowhere near our thinking. Even the acceptance of same-sex lifestyle. Like I remember being in high school, and I can distinctly remember this. There was one guy in particular— and these two girls, and they were the outlier, and everyone knew, and they, they stood out. And the, the, the consensus was, that's not normative. Mm. And so in 15 years, you know, 20 years from me to you, 
drastic change and then just a couple more years it's like every year it's like the velocity is increasing every year well i uh i was never homeschooled i grew up in the public board um so i got to see sort of that evolution i didn't necessarily understand it uh the whole time um but around like my last maybe two years in in elementary school um they started to push that sort of uh, stuff a little bit more their agenda um, like, I mean, there is the climate change stuff for a while, but then the uh, the gender dysphoria stuff only came, like, maybe in the last sort of year. There's, like, one or two people in the school that was kind of like that. Um, <clears throat> and I, I always did notice, though, in our schools that they, it was kind of pathetic. Like, there is no real men. Um, you know, like, they, they're always... Um, trying to shut down not aggressive behavior but like boy behavior like horsing around uh wrestling outside they'd always try and shut that sort of stuff down act like a girl basically for weeks if you did anything like that um so it it was always apparent to me that there's something wrong but it didn't really get too political until high school Mm -hmm. so then in high school what i guess what sort of things are happening or going on or what are you seeing that makes you say I need to not just disagree but I need to be involved in speaking out or I need to actually engage this this is serious enough that I need to do something about it well I uh, I only kind of had that sort of thoughts whenever I, I uh, joined up with Josh there but so it's his fault yeah it's, it's his fault yeah. um, so <clears throat> I was, so the last year of elementary school, they started putting us online. And then, like, my first year of high school was online. So I didn't even, at this point, there's no normal anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and then I, I get there, and everyone's forced to have a mask on everywhere you go, <clears throat> go outside, a drink. Um, and, of course, I hated it, but I didn't really know what to do un- until uh Josh, actually, we went to a PPC rally, and uh, I understood a little bit more. <laughs> mm-hmm. So why do you guys think, I mean, clearly, you guys are intelligent, well, well-spoken, well you understand what's going on, not just culturally and socially, but are able to track that with an understanding of, you know, historical trends, and so... You, you, you guys are no dummies. So why do you think the ramping up so much in the last little bit? Because I, I would agree with you that in the last, even just the last five, seven years, right? I, I remember back in 2019, 20, probably be 20, 2017, 2018 was the 50th anniversary, I think, of the death of Martin Luther King Jr., and there was this big MLK 50 conference that happened in the States. And there were all these pastors who started talking about like real woke stuff. It was really, really concerning, to the, the, the stuff that they were saying. And I, so that was, that's only five, six years ago that all of a sudden I noticed this is, re- this is coming mm-hmm. big and to the forefront. So why do you guys think in the last five, 10, 15 years, there's been this ramping up and even you notice there's a difference just in a two-year period like what's what's driving it both Mm. kind of socially maybe what's driving it but on the ground for the actual kids right the increased number of kids who are identifying this way or moving in this direction right so on the ground level we see it's almost like more people are moving in this direction but clearly there's messaging coming from the top well i think primarily uh this isn't physical, it's spiritual. And uh, wokeism, especially in terms of the whole uh, sex is the most important thing, it's, it's a religion of its own. And they've taken any, the, the family units no longer of any importance, and they made the, the most important thing is sex and, and the different, different, different ways they, they do it. And when that defines you, you're going to have, uh, well, it's a, it becomes a, down, a downhill uh, decline really quickly mm-hmm. in everything. And the other thing, I, I believe it's, I want to say 
Asterix or it's one of the false gods. Uh, they're actually the god. It was trans. I can't remember the title for it, but it's it, it is a religion of its own where transgender and gender dysphoria and even uh, sodomy are all part of uh, all part of uh, this religion. Mm -hmm. And I was reading the book. It's called uh, Return of the Gods, and it was discussing that. And I'm not I'm not saying I align fully with the. Uh, with what he's saying, but I think there's definitely something to it. It's definitely a, a spiritual battle, not physical. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree that it's a spiritual battle. But I also think just on the, uh, the kind of technical end here, there's uh, an obvious generational rebellion, and so they're kind of like our society's at a breaking point right now. They're they've been pushing this woke ideology on the young people, but it's getting to a point where like they have to balance it because either they're going to do it too much and just wake everybody up or they're going to like, it's just going to drown out the next generation. So I think they kind of have to focus on the youth right now. Um, or they're cause like with every generation there's rebellion and if it's usually rebellion against what's right, but at this point, if they can, well, they are drowning the world and making it entirely wrong. So then that means the next generation after that will be rebelling and righteous rebellion. So, I think that's definitely a concern they have. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said about kids will kind of swing the pendulum the opposite way of their parents. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, my my parents' generation is, I mean, I I guess you could say would, would generally value things like marriage and kind of frowns upon divorce and would frown upon any kind of sexual activity or expression that's different than kind of what God defines in the scriptures. And so it's, it seems, it seems that the pendulum, instead of swinging back the other way, it's like someone grabbed it and it just keeps pulling it more and more in the same direction where there's been this, this, this decline, uh, this, as, as you said, as the spiritual war rages on as God's design as God's laws rejected you just keep moving more and more into this chaos why do you think Monty what's what's right maybe maybe if you want to so that's kind of top-down stuff but thinking about actual kids right so the reality is survey after survey after study show that a higher percentage of kids youth young adults with every year that passes are identifying as gay or trans or it's just increasing so why why is it obviously there's the pressure from the top you know josh like you said there's a desire to to indoctrinate there's a spiritual component but kind of in the minds of kids teens why the increase why is it that it seems to be more prevalent well i mean it it's pretty easy to answer that question because they're i mean it's coming from the top right mm -hmm. but then they where are you gonna indoctrinate the kids obviously in, in people's homes or, or in uh, in the school system so if you can just force that through the teachers then well you're supposed to teachers and parents are the people you're supposed to trust right so if you can get those people to teach their kids wrong things then the children will uh, mm -hmm. do what you say like so the indoctrination system is, is kind of working in there um, I also think that <clears throat> How long has Trudeau been in? I, I can't even remember. When 2015. It's been a while. Um, Don't remind me. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, so, I mean, Trudeau's been in for a long time, and, and we've definitely seen a big change since then. Um, I, I can't remember when this interview was, but I saw it a while back. Um, Trudeau said something about admiring the Chinese government uh, because of the dictatorship, like they're able to just yeah. This is do just before the COVID stuff. Yeah, their economy that they're that they could they could. He admired their. He admired the tyranny and the communism, because they could turn the economy on a dime yeah. if they needed to. In the name of climate change. Yeah. Well, in the name of public health now. Yeah. Right. They, they the, just change it on a dime. As yeah. They feel. Well, in 20, at the beginning of this year or at the end of last year, when the federal government released its climate action plan, the kind of opening sheet had a picture of and a message from Dr. Tam. I mean, she's a doctor, 
right? She's not a climatologist. So why is it that she's speaking about Canada's climate action plan? It's because the opening statement says climate change is the greatest health crisis facing Canadians and the world. Yeah, and, and the public's going to see that. Oh, a doctor said this must be true, right? Mm-hmm. The doctor must know what's going on with that uh, expert. Yeah, the experts. So, how much do you guys think? Because again, you're, you know, you're you're in school, or at least some of you were in school up until recently. Um, so you're in schools. You're 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 talking with with people with friends. How much do you see, or how much do you think it's so that the the technical term is social contagion, which basically means it becomes this thing that people do in groups. It becomes, you know, it becomes the 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 the, the cool thing to do. It's to get attention and it to 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 kind of be elevated in the spotlight where you would have people who otherwise wouldn't be thinking about this, but because they find themselves in you know like a group of teenage girls who might all deeply wrestle with issues of identity, who maybe don't have a ton of friends, who, you know, their mom is their best friend, they're insecure, right? These group of girls who are connected, if one of them starts thinking this way, there seems to be this trend where it happens in these groups. Like, are you, how much of it in terms of what you're seeing is people and kids legitimately struggling with gender identity disorder? Like, it's a legitimate deep in their mind they are confused about how they feel and who they are and then how much of it is simply because that's what other people are doing or because that's the antidote to depression or loneliness like how much do you see of of both do you see both and is one more prevalent than the other so well i can't i can't speak to the the individual that actually completes a conversion or something mm-hmm. um there's obviously something terribly wrong there a uh great um lack of parenting and you know any any mis- ministerial service from any adult in their life and uh so i i would say some are doing it just because of social pressure like i've seen entire friend groups just switch on a dime because they I don't even know. They, I mean, when you when you have a world that relies on vices and uh, pleasure, and then uh, when somebody either feels they are lacking in certain departments or something, they might want to hide behind another identity, or and so it's it's often a lack of confidence and something missing, a vanity in uh, the life of those who are doing that. Mm-hmm. You guys have any thoughts on that? Well, like I said before, it's uh, <laughs> something that's that's really pushed by the by those in charge. He, like he said, by parents, by the education system, by people you're supposed to trust. And it's it's seen as this is the cool thing. This is the thing that makes you happy. This is where you, what you want to be. But when you look at the statistics, it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, suicide rates are four times higher. Uh, illicit drug abuse is I think I believe is eight times higher. Depression rates are way higher. It's uh, it's obviously not something that makes anyone happy, but. Uh, yeah, it it really shows how evil and dark everything is too, and that's that's what they're pushing. And they know that this is the results they're going to be getting, and they're still pushing it and pushing mm-hmm. it. Uh, yeah, it's really a real telltale. So I wanna I wanna ask a question about why that is, but I want to touch on something you said about the suicidality, the depression. One of the the common pushbacks is the reason why uh, mental illness and suicidality is so high is because they're not accepted because they're still oppressed because the general public looks at them with disdain. I heard someone say recently that the problem with that view is that 40 years ago, if there were still this many people who were legitimately trans, but who were unable to come out and 40 years ago, clearly the entire world hated it and thought that it was evil and wrong and bad. And yet now when the majority of the world is accepting of it, then why is it that now suicide and mental illness is so high, but 40 years ago when there was no acceptance, you don't see that at all. Right. Like just, just, just history undercuts that entire argument that it's, Oh, it's because they're still oppressed. Yeah. 
Well, if it was really, if it's really because of uh, because of lack of acceptance from society, then I think the depression rates would be the, the uh, sorry suicide rates would be coming from our side because currently, right now, it's more socially acceptable to be uh, to be a transvestite than it is to have our opinion. Mm-hmm. So I I think that uh, that cuts that down, and it also again goes to show when you're centered on sexuality, when that's the center, the basis, the foundation of your life you're going to be depressed. That's not what we are. That's not what we are created for. That's not what we were born for. And you, know, you won't lead, you won't live or lead a, uh, a happy or, or yeah, you won't, you won't have a good life. Yes. Speaking of acceptance, um, like when we go to a drag queen story time or something, there's a transvestite reading to kids and all they're doing is they're in a children's environment and they're reading a book. I remember when I was back in a, uh, school a uh, children environment and i quoted the scripture and now i've been arrested trespassed and kicked out of my school so yeah there's there's definitely a uh, discrepancy there you know before i was thinking about chatting with you guys today as i was driving up here i was recalling an experience i had back when i was in grade 12 so this is 2002 it's 20 years ago where we were in uh, i can't remember what class it was family studies or some sort of some sort of social sciences class. And I also attended a Roman Catholic school at the time. And so the discussion came up in the class about morality, what's right and what's wrong, and who gets to determine what's right and what's wrong, and how do we know? And so the teacher asked the class, how do we know what's right or wrong? Like who, how do we gauge that? And, you know, people hummed and hawed, and the teacher said, the reason we know or kind of how we determine or ascertain what's right and what's wrong is the majority of society accepting it and and deciding on it so if the majority of the society society believes that this is right then that's how we kind of decide morality that social acceptance and then the arguments used were like women voting women couldn't vote but then the majority of society accepted it it's just a silly argument and so i said as a grade 12 student And I thought this would be a safe place to say this. I said, but sir, uh, Jesus, when he spoke, he was the outlier. So he would say things that cut against the grain of the entire social order. And the majority of the people hated him and what he said. And in fact, they killed him for it. And his response in intelligent, measured, leftist fashion was legitimately... I don't want to hear your religious diatribe, and then we just moved on. And so here we were in a Roman Catholic school setting 20 years ago, not eight months ago, 20 years ago, and still this idea that what's right and wrong is determined by what everyone says and how it all moves. Just an interesting experience considering that it's we're kind of in the same place in many regards. I mean, at that drag story hour in Peterborough, when, when I met you for the first time and you as well, I had a conversation with the guy who was in the Antifa mask till about one o'clock and we were talking about what's right and what's wrong and who determines it. And he said, oh, it's, it's logic and science as we come to realize things. And then I said, oh, so that means we shouldn't be murdering babies in the womb because scientifically we know it's a living human being. And then eventually threw a hissy fit and walked away because he couldn't stand to have a real conversation. So you said they know the they know the results, they know that the effect this has in terms of the, the, the depression, the suicide, they know it's it's damaging. Then why do they still do it? Right? Because we're told that they have public health in mind, that it's the common good, that they're doing what's good for society and what's beneficial for humanity. So then why do you guys think that if they're saying we're doing what's right? The sorts of ideologies they push, whether it's this, castrating boys and sterilizing girls, killing babies before they're born, right? The, the complete obliteration of marriage and masculinity. Mm-hmm. Why would they keep pushing what they know, and I agree with you, they do know the, the consequence, that they know is damaging and harmful to human well-being? Yeah, I think they have a few reasons, but uh, number one, I think it's about breaking apart the family unit. Uh secondarily we know like like i said there's it's evil forces at work it's something spiritual and that def- that has to play a role in it and uh 
a lot of people would come at it from the from the angle of population control. Um, yeah, there's a lot of different a lot of different uh, ways you can look at it, but I don't see uh, public health or the uh, the well-being of any individuals as uh, as making that list, mm-hmm. making that cut. Why do you guys think why why if they know and if they see the consequences of these policies of this worldview, then why do they keep doing this knowing the consequence it'll have? What do you guys think? Well, they're obviously very greedy. And like he said, it's it's an attack on the family unit. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when I was like 14 years old, I was sitting down, I was looking at the politics that was happening. This is the beginning of the pandemic and all this. And uh, the, the gender dysphoria issue was still at large there. And uh, I remember thinking, like, I was confused. I was 14. I didn't know what was going on, but I knew something was off. And I remember thinking, what is going on? And what is the, what is, what are they attacking right now? There's an attack, but what is it they're attacking? And uh, I got to thinking it has to be the family because what is more powerful than a family? Mm-hmm. Uh, there you have separate ideas, separate thoughts, beliefs, and uh, hopefully loyalty. And uh, that's that's something that's threatening to a tyrannical state, and uh, yeah, they've so they've obviously are attacking that, and they're targeting the youth right now because if you can take the youth away from the parents, you've broken the family. Which is always for anyone who has any understanding of just the last hundred and fifty years of history. And this is what the Russians did at the turn of the nineteenth century. It was trying to excite the youth about these. Marxist socialist ideas, you know, the whole idea of Hitler youth, right? He understood that you needed to indoctrinate those who were younger, who would not only drive the next generation, but generally they're the ones who are most passionate, right? I think, and it is evidenced by the stuff that you guys are doing. Now, part of it is because guys in my generation have been so thoroughly emasculated that they are weak and apathetic and lazy and cowardly and they rely on 16 year olds to say the stuff that they're too afraid to say because they'll get fired so unfortunately that's the shame of my generation but they understand there's something about being like i remember when i was 16 18 i remember thinking i'm gonna live another 100 years like i have so much energy so much drive so i'm gonna i'm gonna take the world and i'm gonna change the world Younger people think that way. People who are 40 and 50 are not thinking about changing the world. They're just thinking about making ends meet. So going after youth is strategic. Yeah, I think it was Jordan Peterson that said this. Uh, and I've seen it in other studies too. It's between between ages uh, 16 and 21, I believe it is. Uh, youth have, they, they have, a, uh, they want to pursue something greater than themselves. And that's, it's at that point in their life where it's the strongest. And that's where the woke the woke left has completely has completely won in that uh, in that aspect. They've gotten the youth, and they're they think they're uh, doing the right thing and advance, doing what's right, doing uh, fighting the good fight, as you could say. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's it's definitely that at that age, people want to uh, want to pursue something uh, superior to themselves and and the greater good. Mm-hmm. And so if you, if they if you can brainwash them into thinking they're pursuing the greater pursuing the greater good and, and achieving it by uh, by pushing this ideology and and yeah I, I think that's uh that's that's a main reason that they're going after the young people mm-hmm. yeah monty what do you think uh <coughs> well see the, the thing is that the the brain the human brain isn't even like fully developed until what is it like 25 i think it is so i you guys like are on the right track <laughs> <laughs> you're on the right track if that's the case i uh i bet the most people who decide to um, become transgender or, or gay or, or something like that don't even do it until or like they, they do it before the 25 like mo- most people I feel like especially nowadays um, is a lot of that going on so you're not even fully developed right if you if someone were to do that in their like say like 20 years ago um someone's 30 years old and they decide they that they want to become sterile well like it 
you look at that and you think, well, that's mental illness back then. Like, it is. Mm-hmm. Gender dysphoria? What are you talking about? You don't know what gender you are? Um, <laughs> but like, Yeah, I got a 12-hour ban on Twitter not that long ago for <laughs> commenting on an Ed the Sock post when I said that gender identity disorder is a mental illness. Oh, sorry. Well, I guess you're going to get another ban. <laughs> well, this won't go on YouTube, but yeah. because, because whenever you believe something that isn't true— mm. Right, like paranoia is a mental illness. If I believe that there's always someone waiting behind every corner to get me, that's not true. That's a mental illness. Anyways, so we're not on YouTube anymore. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. But anyways, like I don't, I don't blame the the kids, right? Because um, a lot of them have the force onto them by their parents. Like we had uh, in our school, we had a kid that was transgender by the age of. Like they're in grade two, so I can't even remember how old that's that wild. Be like, yeah, my son thought he was a bad a few years ago. It's, <laughs> it's it's a good thing we didn't act on that. Like he was, he would really, my, we, we would we would walk around the house. He would dress up in black, and we made him these wings, and he would just he's a bat, and that that's fine. But we didn't like install wings into his back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't even remember where I was gonna go now. <laughs> That image is burnt into my brain. Um, Well, you bring up an interesting point about seeing it as often as we do among young people. Because if, for example, you had the same percentage of um, trans stuff in the population, then why don't you see huge groups of 40-year-old men and 50-year-old women saying, you know what, now it's time for me to come out too. Like, you you would think you would see it across (laughs) all ages, right? And... We don't see it. It's it's much more rare, like you, you said, after 25. But you, you would imagine you'd see as much of it after that as well than, than all just before 25 when brains are still developing. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's definitely a, a big problem in encouraging stuff like that because, uh, I mean, when you, have, when you have kids, you're supposed to get the bad behavior out instead of encouraging mm-hmm. it, right? Like, uh, when that sort of thing sort of snapped like that and just switched around, I don't, I don't know. I'd like to, I'd like to find out because mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's completely wrong. You shouldn't be teaching your kids to do stuff like that. Like he said, like, we had, there was a transgender kid in our student. I'm obviously not going to name them because they're a victim of this society. They're a victim of their parents wrongdoing mm-hmm. but um like he said what do you mean you don't know what gender you are there was this kid would run around to boys and ask them if uh they had a crush on them and stuff and then complain that they got bullied when some atrocious things would get said back but like uh, what do you what do you expect in this stream of uh just indoctrination that's being pushed on our youth and they they're actually confused and they're setting themselves up so no wonder the suicide rates are up when you're mm-hmm like walking into something like that um so yeah i have a level of sympathy for these students when uh like there are some students and you talk about bullying and all that yeah they they do get bullied but you also it's unfair to both students it's unfair because the transgender student was manipulated and corrupted by their parents and the education system but it's also unfair to the other classmates to have to grow up in this completely unnatural environment and pretend it's normal and then get called bullies when they respond to it in a natural way so yeah it's it's interesting so tell me a little bit about save canada um when i when i was at that drag queen story hour protest in peterborough someone said to me do you know you're standing with neo-nazi white supremacist christian nationalists and i'm like what do you mean by christian nationalists i mean if you mean in the good way then i'm one of those sure i mean that's fine um tell me a little bit about Save Canada. Tell me a little bit about its start, your connection with it, um, you know, the just the, 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 the drive behind it. How did it come to be and what's really the the goal other than obviously to rule over Canada with white supremacy? Right. That's, the, that's the main goal, right? But other than that main goal, <laughs> right, according to the crazies, yeah, what's— White, white Christian nationalism. Yeah, yeah. Well, so Save Canada was actually— we weren't actually the founders of it. It was uh, yeah. back in Nova Scotia. Um, I want it was at the beginning of the pandemic, 
Uh, there's a guy named Zachary McGibbon and uh, a few of his buddies that were, they were in college, I believe, at the time. And uh, they ended up getting kicked out of the vaccine, I believe. But um, the restrictions and the police response in Nova Scotia was wild. Mm-hmm. Um, so they started, they just started organizing house parties or get-togethers or whatever during the restrictions. And they started with by bringing like 10 people. And then it was getting up to some pretty crazy high numbers with the amount of young people that were just sick of obeying the draconian restrictions. And uh, he had a shirt printer or something he just started printing logos and uh i believe it actually came from a donald trump speech it was before he had dropped his merch line but trump just ended one of his speeches by saying save america and uh so this guy he decided to throw it on a hat and see what it looked like and it stuck and uh people started buying them they were seen at all the nova scotia rallies and then uh zach actually got arrested um for attending a rally there's about eight people and police grabbed him and he got scared like he didn't know what was going on they gra- it was a complete surprise attack they just grabbed him and he started running because he didn't even know what was going on and uh yeah he ended up he ran down the citadel hill in nova scotia and actually went pretty viral um one of the cops who was chasing him trapped and fell <laughs> and this guy just kept running he didn't stop and then he said i think once he got back to his uh, apartment or something he, he he didn't resist the rest the second time. He was like, okay, that was that was kind of stupid. I shouldn't have run away. But um, so yeah, he's still fighting all that stuff in court right now. But yeah, he I hooked up with him and online um, back uh, in 2021, and uh, I believe we actually we met for for the first time in person at the Freedom Convoy, and uh, ever since then we've kind of started the Ontario branch, and then it's kind of just become a uh rebranded mm-hmm. with uh what the the work we've been doing over here so what's the i guess the general like if you could sum it up in one or two sentences what is save canada about what does it represent well yeah we're we're mainly youth run i mean there are some adults but uh our main goal is looking at this attack on the youth that we've been talking about for the last while here we want to uh give youth a platform to speak out against it and uh hopefully um lead by example and uh inspire other uh youth to speak out against uh what's the all the wrongdoing in our society mm-hmm. yeah wake them up and ignite them uh and nobody wants to be the first one to stand up to stand against anything that's happening but if we can be the first ones hopefully hopefully some other people fall in line and uh step up behind mm-hmm. So what's uh, what's next for you guys other than heading over to the hill today and hopefully not getting arrested? I don't know. We we have an over under at LCC with uh, what's going to happen. My wife and I were, were we have bets as well for what's going to happen. I won't I won't share <laughs> I won't share the results and who's betting what. But uh, other than other than this weekend and a number of the events that are planned in Ottawa, what's uh, I guess what's What's next for you guys organizationally, strategically? You know, what are you guys doing? What are you up to? What's, uh, what's, what's the plan for you guys? Uh, well, we definitely are going back to Peterborough, but we also have some, some big plans coming up. Um, I think Josh can tell you a little bit about that. Yeah, well, um, so you were there at, at the Peterborough Public Library. We're, we're headed back to that one uh, on the 25th, but... That's that's short term stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we're certainly we're certainly not going to back down. I know uh, there's been far too many uh, videos and images of the red hats with uh, cuffs on, but um, that that doesn't intimidate us. It's not. It's obviously not our goal, but uh, we're going to continue to stand up for what we believe is right, and uh, we're just going to keep on keeping on. Mm-hmm. Take the battles as they come. So you guys are, you guys have started podcasting. Do you guys have your shows up online anywhere? Or are you at this point just still kind of recording and branding and getting that stuff in order? Like, is there a place that people can find that, or they got to wait? Uh, our our website should have some links uh, to some of our stuff. Our personal podcast will be going up on our website uh, when we're ready to get that going. We're pretty busy right now, but yes. uh, hopefully short 
in the in the near future that'll be happening um yeah well there's a petition on uh, liberty coalition canada which you're obviously aware of uh i stand with josh petition um and uh, our website has uh i believe we have a news page on there uh for and uh our merch stores on there as well to buy mm-hmm. our hats and stuff like that so the the podcast you guys are doing when it when it kind of drops it'll be off of the save canada website or is there somewhere else that they can find it or can you say that now yeah actually i don't know it'll probably be on the save canada website we've also got a rumble account um where zach i had mentioned he had been doing uh mm-hmm. st- content on there but right now we've we've got a studio set up and everything so we it's definitely something we want to take up but it's been really busy lately i mean i've been arrested twice in the last week yeah you were arrested you were arrested twice i don't know it, it's been wild so mm-hmm. we've we've got quite a bit going on but hopefully we'll get to the podcast soon so where can people follow you and find you kind of hit us up with your different social media accounts and where can people connect with you and track with your stuff uh well i mean we obviously have our, our site savecanada.army but then um uh, we're pretty much all over social media as well as safecanda.army isn't it? On, yeah. on social media. Um, <clears throat> and then I am uh, Captain Canada 6 um, basically on all platforms. Um, and then yeah, my, my main platform is Twitter, so uh, if you want to follow that, it's uh, at official Josh underscore A. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my Twitter is... Uh, at Nick underscore Save Canada, and my Instagram is Nick dot Alexander underscore Save Canada. Mm-hmm. Believe. So, as we kind of wrap up our time and and head over to the hill, I want to give all of you a little bit of a last word. So, open it up. As we close off, you have a captive, freedom loving audience that supports you guys, that agrees with you guys, that is hopefully going to be sharing this episode and drawing some more awareness as to what's going on and making better decisions. So what open mic time, how would you, how would you close off this? If you were to have the last word, what what do you want to say? What do you want to share? How do you want to encourage people? How do you want to challenge people? What would you say? Uh, Stand for Christ. Don't bow. Don't kneel. Uh, Stand for what's right. And especially to the youth, like you have to stand up, uh, yeah, there's not many of them are. It's if yeah, you have to get the courage too, and just just do it. Stand up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, the voice of the distant is always powerful, so uh, we ought to use our voices now before it's too late. Freedom of speech is under attack. Freedom of religion is under attack, and uh, those are pretty important. So you better exercise them before they're lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Christ is the King of all kings. He's the only one that has all power and authority over us um <clears throat> and uh, you need to stand up and uh, save canada. canada awesome thank you guys so i will uh I'll, I'll add to that by saying and just generally the the sense i got from our discussion if i could say some things and you just nod in agreement um get married have kids and, and raise and create strong families yeah. strong families where relationships are being built um, don't put your kids in government indoctrination centers, mm. most especially for their elementary school life. Mm. I, I would say get them, get 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 them out. Um, and I'd, I'd actually add on to that point because that's one that's one uh, something that a lot of parents text me and ask me. I get a lot of messages, and a lot of them tell me they pulled their their high school students out. I think if you've done a good job parenting, you should actually be able to send your child into the uh, high schools and start red pilling the kids. I mean, because what happened, what I found is I, I was homeschooled. I was ready to go into the education system, and I did. I think homeschooling is excellent, and I certainly encourage it for uh, younger kids. But once you're at the high school age, you should be able to hold your own ground. And uh, what I find that when I'm in the education system making my stand, there's all the youth that would have either been on my side are at home or they're just simply 
silent. They're they're told to shut up and get through it. So I think the best thing you can do if you're if you're our age, go into the high schools and use your freedom of expression and just uh, kind of expose how stupid <laughs> our mm-hmm. entire system is and uh, you know stand up for Christ while you can. Mm-hmm. Have kids, strong families, teach your kids and love Christ and teach your kids to love Christ. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much for taking some time. It's been good to chat and get to know you a little bit better, and I'm sure we're going to have a a, a wild and inglorious number of years ahead of us together as we are engaged in this social stuff. And so thank you so much, and thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Liberty Dispatch Interviews. SaveCanada.army is a website you can check out. Uh, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, and till next time, Galatians 5.1. Thanks for tuning in to Liberty Dispatch, a united front to restore liberty and justice in Canada. Please subscribe to our podcast and Rumble channel, as well as visit our website at www.LibertyCoalitionCanada.com.